Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Welcome back, everybody. Got some housekeeping things to talk about. And I think this is important for everyone to recognize. I have on this podcast not taking any advertising, you know, business at all. Uh, I wanted to focus on the content. I want these to be short, sweet, you know, conductive, where there's a plan, we have a good conversation, we share. I'm solo today. I want to kind of go into some things that I've been thinking about recently. I want to share some concepts and topics that are important to me. I also want to introduce uh, an important thing to me, and that's getting you all involved. I've got a ton of emails, and I appreciate all the feedback. I want more reviews. I want to stay motivated doing this. This takes time out of my day, and in doing so, I'm trying to give back. I have gotten a ton of reach out. People want jobs and careers, and they want to get into this business I give advice to everybody who generally contacts me. I tell them what I think, why I'm honest with people. But I listen to people and I want to understand kind of their perspective. I learn a lot from people. This is a tough business. If you want to get into this business, good luck to you. And I'll talk a little bit more about that on other podcasts. But it's taken me 20 years to get this point, you know, and, and I think the people want to jump into it and uh, kind of get going is good. But recognize that you need to have the experience, and I am consistently learning. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. And I'd also say, if you don't have the experience doing implementation work, like for example, let's say you have a family farm, and you're like, wow, I did all this stuff on my family farm. Well, that's one example. You need tens to twenties to fifties to hundreds of those to be good enough to do this. When I started this out, 20 years ago, when I started cutting timber, I didn't have a clue. I had no idea what I was doing. I studied tree species. I recognized what lives and dies and what deer prefer. How am I benefiting the ecology? You know, I I studied trees and I studied plants and I I tried to understand things at a finer level. I didn't come up with a real system on how to do this till six years ago. And understanding my strategy, and we'll talk a little bit more about that today, but this feedback that I'm getting from you all has been very helpful. That the topics, the things that people want to talk about, and I want you to participate more. And I bought some extra whitetail landscapes hats this year to be used as giveaways. Every couple months, I'm going to be giving a hat in order to get into that. And I'll talk about this on the next podcast. I need a review, and I only prescribe to Apple. If you Spotify or any of the other apps. Um, please provide those reviews, put them in there. 
But if you're not using Apple, I'd ask you to email me your specific review. I'll start posting those on my website, and then I'll basically put you in a lottery for a hat. And like I said, I'll give a, a hat away every couple months. I got cool new hats. Um, I want to give back to the community. I'll pay to send them to your location and uh, wear them with pride. And I appreciate you being a listener on the podcast. Like I said, I want to give back. I'm doing this for, in my opinion, the right reasons. And uh, I want to share with people. And um, again, you know, I'm learning through this. I'm making great connections with folks. And obviously, you know, a lot of people are using, you know, this as a resource to uh, make some changes to their property. So I'm going to talk about a recent visit I had. And uh, Jim Ward and I hooked up. And uh, we worked on a property together. And uh, we had about six hours of just one-on-one time. In fact, there was a client there for a portion of it. Josh was also with me, and we we got to interact at a pretty intimate level. And the one thing I'll say about Jim is I've got a ton of respect for him. He's not only a pioneer, he thinks differently, and he's on a cutting edge. We talked about some next-level stuff, and um, you know some, some things we'll probably share in future podcasts, but our layout philosophies and strategies are almost identical. It's amazing. We came from two different parts of the world, and... Him and I are, are lock and step, how we cut, how we think through timber issues, how we manage timber. I've heard a lot of people, and I think Jeff Sturges is one of them, say negative things about Jim's cutting style. And, uh, you know, Jim didn't prompt me to say this. I will tell you without question, Jim's strategy and how he employs his cutting and his techniques. Now, I don't agree with everything he does and probably vice versa. Um, are beyond, absolutely beyond cutting edge. And he's getting paid a premium. And um, the same thing applies to us because of these strategies and they work. We had a client reach out recently, a client that I had worked with and cut and said, every area you cut, deer are using it. They're moving through there exactly what you said. You're, they're doing what you said they would do. And it's not just looking at timber one dimension and making decisions. I'm looking at multiple facets One thing I'll say is the deer are bedding in the closed canopy areas. I worked on a property that a consultant was on recently and cut a bunch of timber. And the style of cutting is not conducive to my particular area. And I don't agree with this strategy because it didn't relate to a bigger plan. It's thinking larger, shrinking down, looking at individual tree species, defining its purpose, creating the right amount of structure at the correct height. Hinge cutting is huge in these strategies. If somebody says to you, I only use hinge cutting 10% of the time, they're wasting your time. Hinge cutting is an instantaneous benefit without question. It depends on the tree species. The age of that species is your goal to make it live. Maybe it's just to create structure and at what height and what density and what interval. And so Jim and I had a chance to kind of start to kind of construct our layouts, the way I construct movement and flow and how I build that strategy into the cutting. You can't create this with a logger coming into your property and saying, all right, log my property, leave the treetops, we're good to go. It's way more strategic than that. Logging can be a part of the equation, but it's certainly not the primary method to creating the right amount of structure and the right amount of volume to create that movement that's necessary uh, to create that food source. And the other thing to think about is having that variability. And Jim and I had a lot of chances to talk about 
you know, how he would cut certain areas, areas that are a little more moist, you know, reaching out, looking at the soil content, determining kind of the quality of the soil. We talked a little bit on the podcast about soil health, and we'll talk about how to build a food forest. That's a new thing, a new concept. I'm going to kind of introduce some new concepts to you this year. One of those we'll be talking about agroforestry this summer and trying to create more moisture in the landscape and doing that with trees and thinking more about how to have food plots uh, in relation to, we'll say, silvopasture for those that have cattle or uh, agroforestry for those that are trying to grow trees in concert with you know food plots and having more woodland settings in certain areas to create more of that kind of right microbiome that will be beneficial to cover food in kind of more of an open setting and creating some concealment in that equation. The thing I like most about Jim Ward is that he is as real as real gets. He's also a madman, and I say that in the most positive way. He acts with a very strong method, and his cutting philosophy and his timeliness and his conscientious of, of you know, his strategy to benefit the, the client was, was great. The, the other thing I'll say about this is he listens. The entire conversation, he wanted to hear feedback. He wanted to hear our strategy. And we combined some great concepts to come, I think, in my opinion, you know, with some of the ultimate strategies that you'll hear more about on, on future podcasts. We reverse engineer the bedding areas. He looks at it the exact same ways. He picks about, picks out the key areas deer are going to bed, and he builds around that. And, you know, his strategy has evolved, as has ours. Um, we differ in some certain instances. We, we talk about spatial segregation, how to create walls of cover and separation within areas, how to create interspersion of canopy and non-canopy areas, how to create the right amount of structure and volume, how to pick the location deer are going to bed, how to create flow of food, how to create diversity in areas adjacent to those. So he had the same kind of philosophies and strategies. I'm very big on food plot development. I have rule sets around those that we employ with the clients to make sure the movement's appropriate. We're manipulating 100% of the landscape. The other thing that Jim and I have recognized is the clients listen and sometimes they don't. And we all have differences of opinions. Knowledge can kill us. It can give us false positives. It can also give us theories that aren't necessarily connected to science. And the other thing that Jim, I guess, identified to me is when we think we know something, we actually don't. It's having that outlook of positivity, but also recognizing that we're a fault and failure. And then it's, you know, as, as we learn more about soil and plants and how plants communicate, how plants release compounds volatile compounds, how they attract parasitic insects. You know, there's a lot more to plant life than we know, uh, how plants absorb nutrients, how they promote those nutrients, the animals that we're trying to hunt, how to propagate those, how to create more of those across the landscape, how to employ better strategies as it relates to creating these food forests. The one thing that really has been a big issue with me with clients is and this is because of the marketing uh, activities. I'm all for food plots. Let's not get, get it wrong. I, I spend a quite a bit of time on food plots. It's the fun stuff. I get to ride my tractor. But it, a lot of times on these client properties, you can do a lot of work off your tractor in the, in the forest stands. But they're usually 1% to 5% of the property. And we're spending 90% of our time focusing on 1% to 5% of the property. Now, 
in this grand scheme of things, you may have more biomass per acre, but the, the volume of food across the landscape will create that diversity. The other thing you, you start to notice when you're observing landscape is you're looking at what deer prefer at certain times. Jim was asking me of, about a bunch of tree species and shrubs and what deer prefer or not. And right, I'm picking and choosing. I'm explaining. I'm going to tell them, you know, year, age, composition, volume, all the, you know, the importance. And he said, did the deer consume ironwood in, in your particular areas? I said, not normally, but in a moisture rich area uh, adjacent to a dry area at certain intervals at times of the year, you may experience, you know, a sapling being consumed. And it could be consumed during the growing season, which you would presume that wouldn't be necessarily aligned with that type of plant. Uh, however, ironwood was browsed. You know, there's over 700 species of plants that the deer browse. You know, their morphology, their genetic variation, the mineral content in that plant, that's going to dictate deer interest. So observe those things and figure out on the landscape how to create more of those when you find something that's of value like that. Uh, we'll talk more about how to do that and how to change the mineral composition across your landscape. These are really key, key things. Uh, this is beyond, you know, all these concepts, re regenerative ag, and all I hear about is food plots and building soil. Guys, that's not complicated. Uh, that's been going on since the 1930s and 40s. In fact, the Indians were doing the same concepts hundreds of years ago, and it's unfortunate that we have not employed that through generations. It's nice that we can be efficient. You know, I, I built my own roller crimper, right? I have my own tools. I'm using, you know, not cutting edge, but spectral type tools to evaluate plant health, sap analysis. I'm looking, I'm using EC meters, right? Salting the earth. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do to kind of change the landscape. And I'm thinking big picture on these properties, the other thing I think is really important is thinking about when you're cutting timber. And I talked a little bit about this earlier, thinking about the benefits. Hinge cutting to me, without question, it takes so long to build shrubby cover on a property. And a lot of times it's not native. So we're removing a lot of that non-native cover, replacing it with hinge cuts. But recognizing hinge cuts don't offset the uh, nutritional opportunities that you could get out of shrubbery. But the time it takes to, to employ and to hope shrubs are going to develop in an area uh, may be too long for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, depending on the, the slope aspect, the type of species in area, they may never occur. So you may have to plant in those particular areas. And you're talking five, seven, ten years. Uh, the uh, society of uh, instantaneous, you know, needs and wants you know, doesn't allow for that. So hinge cutting and the strategy of hinge cutting is paramount. Now, there's been consultants that have downgraded that philosophy, but I can tell you with 100% certainty, I don't recommend 10% of the time that people hinge cut. Hinge cutting is species specific, time of year specific, but is absolute without question. It creates the opportune structure as long as it's cut correctly. I've had consultants come on properties that I've gone back to and they've cut them very different than I would cut them. It's their own strategy and style. You know, I see a lot of hinge cuts in various directions without purpose, cutting off areas. We want areas to be available to the deer. We want to have the areas where they're bedding being very specific or reverse engineering those areas 
We're building the structure around it. We're using hinge cut as a means to control movement in all those areas. I don't expect hinge cuts to live. In fact, unless I really want them to live, I want the structure. And I want that structure at a certain elevation, height and density. The size, it can be used as a means to kind of segregate deer, to create kind of those zones where, you know, the next plant life will, will end up developing. Um, a lot of times to get deer interested in those areas, we'll pollard trees or cut them off at a certain height. And that new growth, depending on the species, may be highly attractive. It's putting natural food sources in areas where deer want to be. You know, available native forage in bedding areas is this kind of nutritional ecology that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand. It takes a long time looking at plants to understand what deer want when. And a lot of it relates to water content. Like I said earlier, the morphology, the genetic variation. Thinking about, you know, the grass preferences, which are minimal, versus kind of the forb preferences, which are maximal. You know, forb quality uh, peaks out midsummer, And, you know, the maximum calcium, phosphorus, you know, those type of nutrients that are very important for, for health uh, to the deer, you know, it's considering that in the equation. Employing food plots with embedding, huge concept. That's a concept from Jim. That's a concept that Jake Ellinger utilizes. I utilize planted food embedding areas. A lot of clients won't recommend that. They've not hunted deer in the capacity we have. They do not have the experience, I would say, per se, to kind of recommend these things. And it's having the right food based on the soil type. It's also thinking very preferentially to what deer want, but also to the soil preferences. So it's, it's kind of combining those two and having a, a big strategy. And I'm not trying to show, throw shade on any consultants by any means. I was just impressed with Jim because it's the first individual that I've met that actually met us. And, and, uh, and when I say met us, met us, it was a meeting of the minds. We looked at things extremely similar. His tact and his strategy was almost identical to ours. And I, I can't believe that, you know, over 18 years of him developing his strategy and me starting about the same time, not professionally, but kind of building kind of this pedigree of learning, we kind of met in the same place. I had a lot of things to add. I We have different techniques and how we do kind of our layout, our physical layout. But generally speaking, a lot of the concepts are similar. I cut slightly different. Trick picking tree species different because of my ecoregion. I'm very familiar with certain tree species and their benefit and um, kind of having that diversity within those areas. So if you have a logger come onto your property and, and I don't want to bash any loggers, uh, but you, if you have a forester logger come in and make recommendations, you know, and, and I can only do this when I come to the client, when I do kind of the rough layout for the client, some of this level of detail we don't get into because we just build the basic principles. But when we get to, you know, level 200, 300, 400, you know, these phases, we're going to provide specific recommendations by tree type. And when you go in an area, you can recommend, you know, a certain tree species because of its benefit to, from an economic standpoint or a habitat standpoint, and then, you know, break down that as a beneficial seed source, looking at its quality, form, et cetera, and then kind of employing, you know, this ultimate strategy. It's not something you're going to learn in a day, you're going to learn in years. And then it's recognizing, you know, how to copy and paste that across the landscape and picking those key areas. Like I could look across the landscape, I can tell you where the deer are going to bed based on tree species. But more specifically, I'm going to look at the specific areas, you know, the terrain, uh, what physically is in areas, if there's boulders, right? Um, I'm dealing with a lot of areas that are very rocky. That's obviously going to negate interest. 
So it's kind of thinking at these levels and thinking about the space created with the cutting, having the right spatial distribution of trees and connecting the dots. And, um, you know, again, some of these concepts are, are basic, but they're fundamental. And um, when we're trying to create movement, uh, we talked about this in multiple co- podcasts is creating these layers in the cake and trying to find within those layers intervals of very kind of well-managed cover, uh, well-managed food, a combination thereof, and using that to construct movement. That's really critical. So I think these are kind of the basics. With Jim, the other thing we talked about is cutting and how wind moves through the landscape. One thing I want to recognize is everyone has different philosophies on this. I try to cut in an area to benefit the deer from a wind standpoint. I to create channels and movement. So when you're manipulating the biotic features, you know, the trees, the shrubs, uh, you're doing for many purposes. One is to create sunlight opportunities, right, to create that solar radiation benefit. But the other is to create movement and flow of weather and wind being a part of the weather. And it's creating those opportunities to create flow, wind or otherwise. And, um, you know, one of the areas that we were looking at, and I was explaining this to Jim and the client, was we had these two nodules or, or hubs and we had a, a depression in the center, maybe 35, 40 foot elevation, uh, maybe 10 to 50 degree slope. That's meaningful. I looked at the type of soil. I reached out and grabbed the type of soil. I looked at the terrain and slope adjacent to those areas. And any water sources, the flow and movement of that water source, um, that'll all dictate temperature and these densities of air and how air layers itself within those particular areas. And when you start stacking we'll say different layers of air, you're going to notice an eddying effect. So a lot of times we think it's thermals. Um, Those areas that are very consistent are not affected by thermals unless you cut a significant amount of trees. So removing vegetation in those areas create a lot of disturbance. And sometimes that will benefit or uh, deter your hunting. It's thinking actually through cutting an area and changing the uh, abiotic features as well. We can change terrain to make wind and movement of, of thermal, et cetera, through those areas differently. So it's it's kind of employing all these different tactics and thinking pretty intricately. Like this isn't a one, two-dimensional thing. This is a five-axis kind of strategy. And it's it's thinking about, you know, the, uh, we'll just say the basic features, the terrain and layout, and manipulating the vegetation, uh, cutting to benefit the deer, uh, creating flow and channels, and placing the deer in the areas they want to be, creating the right amount of cover, connecting the dots, thinking about the soil features and facets, and then recognizing, you know, how that matures and the maintenance of that. And what I loved about Jim is Jim was picking out, you know, little things. Um, I'm big on foliar sprays now. And I told them how I'm getting away from any even natural amendments. I'm going to foliar sprays. My food plot strategy has evolved over the past couple of years. And, you know, it's, it's different than I think a lot of people are doing. Again, I go back to this focus on food plots and this regenerative ag strategy. Folks, if you're just planting cover crops, it's really easy to build biomass. You know, you could just do, I've talked about like what food plots and seed type that I'm using. But if you just do that over and over again, understanding maturity cycles, looking at the sequencing of plants and building biomass, You can take rock hard ground and make it soft. You can take rocky ground and build organic material. You can take clay soils and make them more porous, porous, excuse me. You can make sandy soils and make them, 
you know, uh, kind of more contracted. You can fix all these things. It takes some time and effort to get there. But building soil in the landscape is huge. But think about that across your entire landscape. The last thing is I want to talk about uh, nutrient-rich, dense foods, minerals, thinking more about kind of these levels of calcium, sodium, phosphorus. The most deficient nutrients on the landscape are typically phosphorus, at least in larger quantities, phosphorus and sodium. Without question, particularly in the Northeast, on terrestrial sites, those are what are going to lack on the landscape. It's thinking about how to put you know, some meat behind the bones in those areas. Phosphorus is, is huge for uh, deer health and nutrition, metabolism, energy, you name it. Uh, sodium, same thing with metabolism. Processing foods is important. Uh, absorption of nutrients, all those things kind of go into picking, you know, each one of these nutrients and understanding the benefit on the landscape. Remember, you know, adequate habitat leads to increasing the size of our deer, the size of the populations, the one thing I noticed on across a lot of the properties that I'm working with in certain parts of uh, New York State, because I'm based in New York State, but other areas is, you know, the, the trigger control. The deer populations are beyond what's reasonable. And, you know, that's why you lack diversity in the landscape. And if you're in that 50 to 60 to 70 deer per square mile, you've likely way exceeded your, your carrying capacity unless... You know, you have these large agricultural areas. Oh, you know, one thing I want to talk about is, is uh, you know, this is a, a topic that's very controversial, and I guess I, I'm okay talking about this, is this whole, oh, they call it um, dough factory. Oh, my goodness. You know, the concept of the dough factory is absurd to me. In fact, it's a population management issue. If you don't recognize that you're, one, the number of deer are out of sync, Two, that does prefer certain types of food in intervals that seasonally you can manage as bucks, and they have different preferences. Uh, their diets are different. You know, a deer of, of magnitude of size, they're typically going to eat larger quantity of foods and lower quality. And those are completely the opposite. They're eating high quality. And thinking about your food plots in the summer months of building kind of the nutritional benefit but also the nutrient cycling. We talked earlier about organic material, thinking about biomass, volume of you know, food for deer, but also concerning you know, the benefits to your soil and thinking through that all the way and picking plants that are maybe more curvaceous or legumous or whatever the case may be to improve the soil or to improve interest. So it's thinking about the foods that you're placing, you know, not having food plots all season long and creating interest across your property it's just going to minimize the amount of deer that have interest in your property. If you're not wanting deer on your property for whatever reason, and it doesn't become a destination for them all season, I'm stealing deer all season. I want these bachelor groups of buck to see, you know, the areas that I've created, the volume of food on my landscape, the diversity of food sources, um, these buffet-type food plots, these buffet-type food forests that I'm creating. If they're not having that, they're not going to be pulled in as they go hardhorn as they shift their seasonal ranges. You can shift deer seasonal ranges by building habitat, period. Not a question. And that's how I'm able to kill more mature deer on a small uh, acreage that, that I personally own. But going back to doe factories real quick, that's, a, that's an indicator of population issues more than likely. 
and it's having the right foods in place in the right locations. If you have poor food sources across you know, your, your landscape and you're the only one providing adequate food sources, you're absolutely going to tr- attract deer. Will it be more preferential to does versus bucks? It may be based on the type of food that you're selecting. So change your food sources. You know, play with things that are a little more lignous or have more cellulose or may not be necessarily attractive to deer. That may push them away from those areas and allow them to integrate themselves into other properties. And, you know, they go to your areas at a higher interval, but not at the frequency they may be when you are the only five-star hotel in town. So that would be my strategy for doe factories, and just something that I wanted to kind of suggest to everybody. All right, that's it. That's all I want to talk about. Um, I want to kind of thank everybody for listening, following along with the podcast, and uh, I like doing these solo ones. I didn't have really agenda today. I just want to kind of speak, talk about things, talk about my experience with Jim. You know, a lot of respect for him, a lot of respect for the cutting strategy, Um, It's nice to be able to look in the mirror and say to myself that, you know, we're doing something, we're making differences on the landscape. And I think at this point, him and I are are, uh, hand in hand, kind of making a change. I think we're changing the philosophy. We're building, you know, these great clients and giving the, the, this high level experience that I think other people aren't able to do because they don't necessarily understand the same strategies that we're employing, being really strategic with our cunning and coming up with really good quality plans for folks. So I would suggest, you know, you know, reach out to both of us and and try to get in our schedule and try to be, you know, kind of a part of this change and movement. I want people getting to that next level, that 400 level, where they're building these high-quality properties that are way more predictable, hunting's much easier, and they're open-minded. They're listening to the changes. But having some ground-based uh, fundamental understanding, whether it's in science or really observatory experience that has a lot of pedigree to it. You've seen it over and over again. Also, that feedback. Again, five-star review and comment. You know, I want more of that stuff. Like I said earlier, if you're going to do that, I appreciate starting today. You know, once this comes out, I want people to start giving that feedback back to me. And again, if it's not an Apple, it's one of those other platforms, please email me those, john at whitetaillandscapes.com. I will review those. I will thank you. I appreciate this. This podcast is all about giving back. You know, that's the same thing with the hats and anything else that I can do for people I want to do. I am very busy with my business. This is more business than I thought I would have a couple years ago. I am not taking any interns or any other people for employment. I know people reach out to me all the time. It takes a long time to get this place, guys. Um, I've been doing this for 20 years. And uh, I started a long time ago, and I'm learning. I'm continuing to learn. That's what I like about this business. And I appreciate people sharing their experiences because it makes me become more proficient in my job, and it makes me be able to have better recommendations for my clients. And I know Jim feels the same way. Jake Ellinger, Todd Shippey, you know, everybody's on this. Perry, uh, Rocky, you know, every Mark, everybody who's participating in this podcast, I think that they're listening to this, they're learning they're sharing and this is just a community of like-minded individuals trying to help the next generation of land managers thanks for following this is john teeter whitetail landscapes see ya maximize your hunt is a production of whitetail landscapes for more information on how john teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt 
check out whitetaillandscapes.com.